If you would, go ahead and be seated. Excited to uh, finish off the series that we've been working on this last month, of talking about the divine life. I do want to give you a heads up about the series we're going to begin next week. I want to encourage you to be praying and preparing yourself for it. Uh, we're going to be looking at four of uh, some of the fundamental factors that lead to human thriving. Um, right now, we, we're in a culture that is telling us some things that aren't true about marriage and parenting and what the Bible would call vocation. We're going to talk about the difference between a vocation and a call, I'm sorry, and a job here in the next couple of weeks, and then government. And uh, there's a lot of junk going on in our culture because of these four things uh, not functioning biblically and not being understood biblically. And so I want to encourage you to be sure to be here. If you have children that are uh, fifth grade and up, we want everyone kindergarten and up in here, but especially during this series, uh, fifth graders and up, I really want to encourage parents to have their children in here. So as we're talking about these things that are very countercultural but biblical, it gives them a framework to be able to think differently than what they're hearing in culture and society. And again, we're not going to come at this from some kind of arrogant position. We're just going to come at it from, hey, here's what the scripture says. And as we're praying, and if you've got your bulletin, you might want to, <coughs> excuse me, check out the uh, the prayer, uh, the daily prayer for revival. Pray that God will create a spirit of humility and brokenness among the believers, that God will, because uh, God will not revive those who are self-sufficient or proud. Pray for that this week and pray in light of the series that we're going to be doing. This is not about us saying, you know, Christians are better than everybody else. It's not that at all. It's the Bible is true and we need this truth in order to experience human thriving. And what we're being told by our culture is, is not accurate. So we need to know what Scripture says. And so we're going to be digging in to understand what the Scripture says of, about those very things. Now today, we're going to finish up talking about the divine life. And we've been talking in this series about these different aspects of the divine life. And if you're not careful, it's easy to kind of get bogged down into, I'm supposed to do this and this and this. And your, your, your walk with God become, can become a to-do list, a thing of activity, which there is certainly activity in the Christian life, but there's got to be something behind it that sort of holds it all together. It's, it's got to have something that binds it all together. Otherwise, it's less than what the Bible says the Christian life is, and it's less than what Jesus has died for us to experience. Um, I shared this, and, and a friend of mine said, you know, I don't, I don't think you should, you should share this, but I, I'm going to share it because it's true, and, and, and it's right, and I don't think there's anything, anything wrong with it. But I like baking shows on, on Netflix, all right? I like it. And the British Baking Show has a whole new episode that's, that started uh, Friday. We haven't watched it yet. We're going to. And I, I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm excited about it. I'm not embarrassed of it. I like another show. It's called Sugar Rush. Same thing. Different, different people. I like it. I like baking shows because they're so awesome. It's like science and art all coming together. All right? So here's on the British Baking Show. Here's kind of the stuff that they make. All right? Isn't that awesome? And they say it tastes good. But this is food. This is, they made this. Now, I'm not going to get into baking, and, and here's why. I was never good at science or art, okay? So I'm not going to get into that. And Jennifer Shepherd has made all of our cakes, and that's fine. That's good. And we have a few others that are, that are taking on baking. I'll eat your stuff. It's good. I love it. But I'm not going to cook it, because if I start cooking stuff, it's going to look like this. All right? <laughs> this happened. This happened on the British Baking Show, and they, and they made the people leave. They kicked them off the show because you're not allowed to make stuff like this. But in, in my massive knowledge of one year of watching baking shows, I can tell you what caused this. 
you got to have a binder to hold it together. There's got to be something that makes all the other ingredients stick together or else it all falls apart. And so it is with the Christian life. We have been given many things to do and to experience, but there's one thing that has to bind them all together. And here it is. It's love. The Christian life must be bound together with love. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in the chapter on love, 1 Corinthians 13, first few verses here. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have uh, prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, if you have the faith to remove mountains, I mean, how cool is that? But have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, if I'm a martyr, but have not love, I gain nothing. Listen, if you've got all the Christian stuff, you got all the Christian badges, you high attendance awards, you, can, you, you know all of these, the, the scripture memory verses, if you've done the trips, you've done the stuff, you've done, you know, and, and, and you don't have love, you've missed it. I mean, Jesus said, look, guys, this is real simple. Someone asked him once, what's the most important thing that anybody can do? Jesus said, there's two things, and I'll give them to you. They're real easy. Uh, Matthew chapter uh, 23, he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the, the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Look at this. And of these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The entire Old Testament tells us it's love. Loving God, loving people. And if you don't have that binding your faith together, if that's not the binding element of everything around your walk with God, you've missed it. You've messed it up. Our, our text today, it, it, it explains how, how it is this, is real, this love is lived out in real life. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be in verses 12 through 17. Kendall's going to read for us as she comes. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, we're in Colossians. We've been in Colossians. We're going to continue in Colossians even in this next series. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 18 and following. We're going to slow down and start doing more verses. I mean, less verses and give concentrated effort. But this morning, God willing, we're going to cover these. So, Kendall, if you would read for us uh, verses uh, 12 through 17. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in your richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. With um, thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in the word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Good job, Kendall. Thank you. If you would, go ahead and be seated. Um, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing to the church at Colossae, uh, makes this very important um, clarification for all of God's people. And, and that is this, if, if indeed we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, 
there will be a binding element that holds everything together. And that binding element is love. But it's a unique kind of love. I'm not just talking about any love today. What I'm talking about is a gospel-centered, a gospel-given love. We, we understand that salvation comes when we repent and believe the gospel. And so when we talk about the three circles that are very helpful for us uh, from, from, uh, from adolescence on, especially understanding that what's wrong with our world is sin. The reason why there's brokenness is because of sin. But understanding that if we will turn away from our self-sufficiency and trust in Christ alone and what he has done, which is what the gospel tells us, what God has done to redeem us, look what happens. We're able to recover and, and pursue God's design. And God's design is that we love him and that we love other people. Now, all people love. Every human being has been made in the image of God. And that image-bearing capacity enables us to love. But apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, our love, our love will always be tainted with sin. And so what's strange to, to think about and to understand is some of the worst things that have happened in this world have come about really at the beginning because of love. Someone says, I love my nation. Someone says, I, I, I love my spouse. I, I, I love these people. And, and it was threatened or it was hurt. And so, so what, what did love do? Love attacked. And so we see wars and we see pain because it's not the love of Christ. It's just, it's just human love tainted with sin, which causes people to attack. Listen, the people who killed Jesus on that cross, they said they did it because they loved the temple because they loved God, because they loved Judaism. Well, listen, love tainted with sin will oftentimes create the worst things in human beings. The love that the Bible talks about is a love that is free from the tinge of sin. The, the love that the Bible reveals to us is a gospel-centered love, a Christ-centered love. It is a love that, that holds all the best things of what God has to offer, holds them together. And so we must have God's love in the gospel because, and write it down and remember this and, and get this about this whole series. Let this kind of be the summation mark uh, based on verse 14. Love is the glue. It's the glue of the divine life. This verse 14 here in the middle, it sort of hinges this whole section. It may very well be the very hinge that holds the entire, uh, entirety of this letter, maybe the entirety of Scripture together. It says, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. All, all of these things that we can focus on and do, God tells us to put on love because it holds everything else together. I, I love, I love there's those moments in, in our time of praise when the instruments go down and, and we can hear the voices. And, and this morning I, I stopped singing at, at different times because I could hear harmonies. I could hear people that know how to sing in, in different ways. And, it, and, it, and it's the same sound, but it's a different sound. And it just, it just all comes together and it's held together with the beauty. And, and when, when the scripture talks about how it binds everything in perfect harmony, this is what love does. It takes all these things that, that we've been given in Christ and called to do and holds them together in perfect harmony. And when, when love is absent, when love is not there, genuine Christianity is lost. 
My second year in seminary, I was in a seminary uh, that was of a different denomination. And there was a man in that class who was very rude to me, constantly acoustic toward me, constantly critical, and always wanted to create um, controversy and, and, and wanted to debate. And, and I, I rarely stepped into it. I, you know, even in seminary, you have great opportunity many times to, to debate ideas, but this guy was just mean. Talking to other folks, I realized that he treated not only folks outside of his denomination, but even within his denomination and even within his church. It's just very mean. Anyone who disagreed with him, anyone who didn't see it the way he saw it, he would attack. As I began my, my third year, I, I knew he was going to be in a class, and so I was preparing myself for it, and walked in and didn't see him. And so I asked a friend of mine, I said, you know, hey, what happened to this guy? He said, well, you're not going to believe this, but he's, he, he's quit seminary more than that. He's resigned from his church, and he's now denounced the faith. So what, what do you mean? He said he's actually writing in, in his local newspaper about how Christianity is not real. It's not true, and, and that, and that it, it's, 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 really, it's really a bad thing. And, and I didn't read very many articles. I asked him to bring me one. I read one, and what I realized he was writing against is what he was experiencing as a so-called Christian. What he was talking about and what he was attacking it actually, as I understand the New Testament, is not biblical Christianity. And so when there are, when there are those who say, you know, that, that, that Christians are racist and, and Christians are cruel and, and Christians are immoral, you know, what I want to say is, wait a minute, are you sure they're Christians? See, when people attack Christianity, and they do, and, 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 and begin to, to call names, you know, many times I want to say, you know what? I don't disagree with you because you know what? There is no place for racism in Christianity. There's no place for cruelty in Christianity. There's no place for this kind of immorality in Christianity. What, what is at the heart of Christianity is love. And when love is absent, there is racism and there is cruelty and there is immorality. So if today, if you're, if you're sitting and you're saying, man, this, this Christianity, I, I'm not buying it. Make sure that what you're not buying is, is actual biblical Christianity. I think if you'll study the word, what you'll find is the very thing your heart has always longed for is found in Christ alone because it's beautiful. This love, it creates the best marriages, the best families, the, the best friendships. I can tell you as a person who was sitting outside of Christ for many years, one of the things that drew me to, to actually consider believing in Christianity was the love, the Christian love, the love, the biblical love that I saw in some families and some marriages and some friendships. And, and what we have in this love is an empowerment. A few things I want you to see uh, in, our script, in our text today. There's four things that, uh, that love empowers God's people to do. All right, the first is this. Love empowers God's people to respond like Jesus, to respond like Jesus. Think about how Jesus responded to you and your sin. Think about how Jesus responded to sinners. You know, the people he didn't like were religious fakes. The, the people that, that Jesus loved were, were those who, who needed compassion. And so you look at that list in verse 12 and 13 compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving. This is, this is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus responded. This is how we are to respond. 
not only to one another, but certainly to one another. In our marriages, we are to be compassionate. There's to be kindness. There's to be this meekness and this patience and this forgiveness in our friendships, in our congregation. This is how we are to love one another, to respond to one another the way Jesus did. But if, you, if you'll read throughout the New Testament, one of the things that you'll see is that we're not only to treat one another like this, but, but also maybe even especially people who don't know Jesus. The, the people who live like sinners. I, I'm so, you know, listen, as Christians, friends, let's just agree to stop being mad at sinners for living like sinners. It's what sinners do. It's like a cat. You can't keep a cat from being a cat. I mean, there's two kinds of people in the world. People who love cats and people like me. <laughs> you know, because cats are just different. You get a ball, you bounce the ball, dog, yay! Throw the ball, dog, yay! Gets the ball, brings it back, wags his tail, loves you, great. Get a ball, bounce it in front of a cat, it wakes up, it's scared. You throw the ball, it looks at the ball, looks at you, and you know he's thinking, you're an idiot. So I don't like cats, and, and, and I love dogs, and we have a cat. <laughs> and neither me nor the dog like him. So I took this picture recently. Can you see what he's saying? I mean, he's, he's saying something right there. Do you get it? Can you, I'll translate this for you. He's in English lab. Here's what he's saying. Please take this, dog, this cat away. <laughs> this animal is ruining my life. Please make it go away. I'm begging you. I don't like it. But the cat loves him. He's the only thing in the world the cat loves. So I told Charlie he can't kill it. <laughs> but he acts like a cat. And that's why we don't like it. It's just how it goes, all right? Suck it up. That's what I tell myself and Charlie. All right, when it comes to people who don't know Jesus, guess what they're gonna do? They're gonna live like they don't know Jesus. Listen, when I first come in, came to, started going to church when I was a kid, I used bad language, I had a terrible reputation. I mean, I'm sure parents were on edge, at least they should have been with me in the room. But you know what? They didn't treat me like my behavior deserved. They responded to me like Jesus. And a big part of the reason I became a Christian is because of the people that I saw that were so much like Jesus. Listen, love empowers God's people to respond like Jesus. The second thing, love empowers God's people to live like Jesus. Look how Jesus, how we're commanded to live. And this is how Jesus lived. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called. And be thankful. Jesus lived in constant peace. In Matthew 8, there's this great story about uh, Jesus had been serving all day and they're, they're, they're in a boat and Jesus is tired. And so he's, he takes a nap. And there's this storm and they wake him up. And I just can't help but think that Jesus was a little aggravated. I, I, it, I, maybe it's just me reading into it. But after I've been preaching all, all day, somebody wakes me up from a nap. That's not a good day. It's not a good moment. So I picture they, they wake Jesus up and they're like, Lord, don't you care? And he's like, shh. And the wind stops. And he's like, what is your deal? 
That's my translation. He's like, where's your faith? I'm here. I already told you how I'm going to die. I already told you why, I'm, why I've come. You don't need to worry about a little storm. Have faith. You know why Jesus was like, because he had peace. He wasn't worried about storms. He wasn't worried about enemies. He knew what he was, he was there to do. He knew what he was going to do through the lives of his followers. And, and he was always thankful. He was always giving praise to God. Except in one moment. In one moment, Jesus didn't have peace. And in a moment, there was a time that he wasn't grateful. And it was when he was dying on the cross. Because in that moment, he was doing something on our behalf. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says as about as anywhere as you'll ever find in Scripture. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. On the cross, Christ took our sin upon him. And in that moment, God the Father turned his back. There was no peace between God the Son and God the Father. I don't understand how that works, but that's what happened. And he wasn't grateful. He was hurting. And he died in our place. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our punishment on the cross so that we could have peace with God. We are to live with this peace. We are to live knowing that our ultimate enemies of sin and death have been defeated in Jesus Christ on the cross and now we have his life in us. There is no reason for us ever not to have peace and and for for us not to be grateful. We have every reason to live like Jesus in perfect peace and gratitude. And what makes that happen? The love of Christ revealed in the gospel. Third thing. Love empowers God's people to think like Jesus. To think like Jesus. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness, again, in your hearts to God. It's important to understand, Jesus as, was God and man. And so when, when, when Christ took on flesh, he was still God. I love the way uh, the Gospel of John describes this. And verse 1 speaks to this reality. In the beginning was the word. This word is, the Greek word is logos. It's ultimate truth, ultimate reality. In the beginning, the ultimate truth was with God. And the ultimate truth was God. And in verse 14 of John 1, it says that, and he came and he dwelled among us, that we would know him. He came full of spirit and truth. Jesus is God. And as God, he came and he revealed that truth the reality of the word. But as a human being, he had to grow and to learn to understand it. Here he was, God in flesh. And one of the few descriptions we have of Jesus' upbringing is found in Luke 2.52. Luke 2.52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus, as fully God, was truth incarnate. But having chosen to be limited in human form, he had to grow in wisdom. He had to grow in understanding of of ultimate truth, of the word of God. And so when when Paul writes in Ephesians 4.15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to uh, to, to him who is the head, into Christ. We are to grow as Jesus grew. We've already been given this glorious gift. Look at the gift we've been given. This is 1 Corinthians 2.16. 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. If you have been born again, 
If you have been given new life in Christ by grace, through faith in Jesus alone, by repenting of your sin and believing on Christ, you now have the mind of Christ. That mind of Christ must grow. How do we grow? We grow, as scripture says here, very simply, we grow through letting the word of Christ dwell in us, teaching us. We've got to know the Bible. And we've got to see all of the world through the lens of the Bible. Everybody in this room has a worldview. There is a way in which you're choosing to understand your life and reality. The Bible explains reality. It's sensible. The Bible explains that that God created everything in harmony, but then we jacked it up with our sin, but God didn't abandon us. Instead, he came to rescue us, and one day he's going to return. He's going to restore all things. That's the Bible in summation. There is a single story. It has four parts, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. Right now, we're living in, in this part between the rescue and the restoration. We are to see everything that happens in the world through this lens. We are to think biblically. We are to think like Christ. And of course you've got to study the word to do that. Of course you would be, be blessed and, and helped if you would listen to, to, to Christian podcasts, biblical teaching. But there's another way. And it's a way I'm beginning to grow more recently in my faith. And that is through just simply singing songs that are true. Uh, right now I've, I've been listening to a, a, a collection of, of, of songs by Shane and Shane. There, there's two volumes of the Psalms. And simply resonating with the reality of God's word is transforming my heart and my mind. I'm growing up. And this is what all God's people are to do. It's not just simply out of I ought to, but because God has loved me. Because God's love is real. I'm now empowered to think like Jesus. And to think like Jesus, I've got to know his word. Fourth, write it down and realize. God's power, this, this, this love that God, that empowers us, God's people. He does this so that we can serve like Jesus. How did, how did Jesus serve? He always served for the glory of God. He always lived to glorify God. I love this prayer encounter in John 12, 28, reveals the heart of Jesus. Father, glorify your name. And God the Father responded, then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. You are never more being Christ-like and in the center of God's will than when you and I are living for the glory of God. It's important to understand that there are those who denounce Christianity, who, who are critical of the God of the Bible because of this command of God that we glorify him. There are those who do not understand scripture. They do not understand our God. And they say, he must be an egomaniac. Any God who says, glorify me, glorify, glorify me. He must be some some kind of uh, crazed fanatic who needs everybody to to, to focus on. It must be some kind of a narcissist. Friends, understand, no. What God is doing is he's calling us to do what is right and best. The chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The reason we are to glorify God is because he alone is worthy of glory and honor and praise. He alone is worthy of our best and fiercest efforts. When you live for the glory of God, you are liberated. Your your motives become pure. They become bigger than you. 
Your purpose becomes pure. Your power becomes supernatural because this is what God made you to do. This is what God calls us to do. This is what God empowers to happen, that we serve God, we love people and serve them, all of it, for the glory of God. When we glorify God, there's an unbelievable, powerful peace that comes into our hearts and minds because we know what we're doing is right. And we know that what we're doing is what we were made to do. A friend of mine, Terry McDaniels, he, um, he made uh, these, uh, these great uh, wristbands. And uh, what they say is uh, P for G. That means play for God. And uh, John, has John 16, 33, in this world you'll have tribulation. Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. Um, gives these out. I've given a bunch of them out. It's funny, for those of you who are, are, are golfers, um, uh, there's a golfer that wears this um, from down in front, oh, Kenny Perry. So if you're watching golf ever, check his left wrist. You'll see a red, a, a, a red uh, a bracelet around there, and it says, P for G, play for God. And he wears that because he's a Christian. And as a Christian, he knows if he's playing for himself, if he's playing for any other reason, that it's an impure reason. But when he's playing for God, he's completely free to enjoy what he's doing because it's all for the glory of God. Now, make no mistake, everybody in this room is living for something or someone. You're playing for someone. You've been made to worship. And so you're worshiping something or someone. And let me just tell you this real quick, and I know most of you know this, but let me just be real honest with you. You are a terrible God. You're terrible at it. So don't worship yourself. And those people that are sitting around you right now, some of you that you love very much, they are terrible gods. As a matter of fact, look at the people around you and just tell them, you are a terrible God. Go ahead, tell them. Say it with unction. We made a little girl at 9.30 cry. It's crazy, she started crying up there. He's like, why? Everybody in here is a terrible God. So parents, listen to me. Love your kids, but don't make them your God. Don't make your life revolve around them. Wives, love your husbands. But don't worship him. Don't make your life revolve around him. Husbands, love your wives. But, but don't make your life revolve around her. Listen, your soul has an eternal weight to it. And mom and dad, your kids can't handle that kind of weight. And husbands, your wives can't handle it. And wives, your husbands can't handle it. And friends, your friends can't handle it. The only one who can handle the weight of your soul is Jesus Christ. And if you will love him the way he has loved you, trust him and base your existence on his glory and his purpose, you'll be free. Otherwise, you're going to have to depend on something that can't handle your weight. And sooner or later, it's going to fail. If you will live to glorify God, you will live free because he will never fail. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our glory. He is worthy of all power and he is worthy for us to live for him. And when you have this love that's given in the gospel, you're free. Now, some of you sitting here right now, some of you hearing my voice right now, you're not free. 
Some of you are angry. Some of you are anxious. Some of you are refusing to to forgive someone else. You're refusing to do the very things that love commands. And you need today, you need to repent of that. You need to say to the Lord, get on your knees and say, Lord, I'm wrong. The way I'm living is wrong. Forgive me. I will trust in you. If you're you're not in it, I don't want it. I want Jesus. I want what he alone can give. I need that love to define me. And if you'll ask him, you'll believe, you'll be saved. You'll be strengthened. You'll be blessed. Let's pray together. Let's stand together as we do. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for the blessing that is ours in Christ because of the love that is revealed, that's given to us who believe. Father, there there are many who claim to be Christians, but there's no manifestation of love. There are so many evil things that happen in the name of religion, and those are not the things of Christ. Lord God, you have come to set us free. And, And what holds us together is your love, and when we are empowered by your love, we get to live the lives that you've designed for us, and we can pursue all that you have. Lord, I know there's some in this room today, their lives are a mess. Their hearts, their emotions are overwhelmed. God, they're not trusting in you and they're not living in your love. Would you today give them freedom? And then as we as leaders, as we continue to pray for revival, Lord, we come and we ask for this humility. We ask for this dependence upon you that we would glorify you spirit of prayer, come, get on your knees, talk to God, come talk with him about it.